Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Wrong Think Radio. I'm your host, Aaron, broadcasting from just outside the nation's capital in beautiful Northern Virginia. And maybe Alan's here. And I'm Alan, who is fumbling trying to find the mute button. Oh my God, it's like every video call I've ever done in corporate America right there. Just absolutely defined. (laughs) God, I hate it so much. Um... Anyway, this is Wrong Thing Radio, so our two-hour live show that we put on every single week to bring you all our facts and analysis of what's going on in the world, what's happening in the news, what you may not have heard of, and also how to see through all of the propaganda and the bullshit. Um, And there's a lot. Mm. We have a lot of really fun stuff to talk about. We actually have some really good user engagement stuff. Uh, Somebody threw a grenade. Um at me this morning uh hd cynical uh a regular it was not it was a a regular commenter on our discord which by the way you can join our discord if you go to subscribestar.com forward slash wrong think radio and for 2.99 a month you'll help support the program but it'll also give you access to our discord community which is full of awesome people sharing their opinions, debating politely, respectfully, um, pretty awesome actually, and sharing a lot of stories. And what I wanted to do is I, I wanted to trick Alan and nobody knew about this. Alan didn't know about this cause it's a trick on oh. him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was going to actually discuss a game, but then more information came out on something that I had already, um, that I'd heard a little bit about. And so I'm going to give a little bit of a background. Um, but first I'll start it with, there's a, a there's a game that came out recently called Helldivers 2 and it has started a fierce debate and I love it. So, Helldivers 2, well actually Alan, I'm sorry, you're playing Helldivers 2. So explain to the audience the premise of Helldivers 2. The premise of Helldivers 2 is that you are a soldier for Super Earth and you are fighting the horrific alien menace that threatens galactic human democracy. Mm. And it's basically, if you've ever seen the movie, the phenomenal cult classic, Starship Troopers. Or read the book, or potentially, Not or to be a dick. Book. Not to be that guy, <laughs> but, you know, it is a book. <laughs> right. Essentially, it's, it's this kind of over-the-top, fun, sort of ridiculous... Uh, aspect like much like the supposedly satire movie starship troopers in video game form you're fighting bugs the other enemy is the bunch of robots and basically your your soldier runs around calling in like drop pods down to the surface of the planet calls in orbital air you know airstrikes and all sorts of stuff uh and every time you you know blow up an enemy base your little soldier on screen on screen screams something like for democracy it's very fun it's fun and silly. Well, yeah, and and so a lot of people have have given the correlations to uh, Starship Troopers, and the reason why. So I'm I'm not. That's nor- what it absolutely mm-hmm. is based on, right? Down to the like the corniness of you're fighting for the forces of democracy for Super Earth. So it, he- it's corny and fun. Here, here's here's the, the the reason. I'm I'm typically not the guy who's like, man, the book was better. That's not really my style. The yeah. reason why I, I had to bring up that there was a book is because there's there's actually some background information that people may not know in regards to the movie Starship Troopers. And that is that um, in the movie Starship Troopers, 
uh, or sorry, the guy who made the movie Starship Troopers, the director, never read the book and admitted to never reading the book. And the reason why he didn't is he said he got five pages in and it was fascism. And so when he developed the movie, he was trying to slap back at he like he was asked to make the movie, but he hated the book because he said it it, uh, encouraged fascism. Yeah, well, he never read the book, so right, right. But like that was the whole what what I assume happened is that him and his you know gay buddies were sitting there talking about some nonsense, and they're like, "Oh, you're doing Starship Troopers? That book's basically fascism because yeah. it's super patriotic. It's you know giant nation state. You're fighting for humanity itself against the invasion of the bugs that are murdering everything, and it yeah. is absolutely bananas because it." it it is one of those, number one, it's a very foundational book in science fiction. People really enjoy it, but um, it's it definitely doesn't fit the leftist mold. So what's fascinating about it is because of the correlations between Starship Troopers, we can also point out the fact that this game is developing some controversy. People have suggested that it's fascism. And so, so much so that NBC News actually put out a story a few days ago that says a video game has reinvigorated a long running debate about fascism and satire. The subtitle here is Helldivers 2 has prompted a debate on social media. Is the game actually a satire of fascism? And if so, is it worrying that some people don't seem aware of that? Um, the thing is, it's not, if it's a, it's not, the thing is nobody understands, A, we'll start with, nobody can ever define fascism for me other than something the left doesn't like. (laughs) Right. That's the only definition Uh, that fits any of this. Anti-communism. So like, yeah, it's basically (laughs) anti-cop, it's patriotism and anti-communism. It's nationalism or whatever. That's, it's, honestly, it is seeing your nation or group or whatever as something that is under threat and must be protected is fascism to these people. So if you look at, say, this Helldivers video game, uh, the original, the movie Starship Troopers, the book Starship Troopers, um, Warhammer 40,000, it's like all of it shares one common theme, which is humanity is under Ooh, you're threat bur- sorry by your uh, signals break masses of aliens trying to stir and thus is this middle line. it's a uh, basically a human-centric world and so they go yeah you're under threat by the external forces and so you promote your like internal unity to essentially survive an existential threat and that's fascism because i think what the left realizes is their whole goal is to destroy nations and peoples and countries and so anything that gets in the way of that which is people rightfully recognizing oh hey we're under threat by this group that wants to destroy our way of life i mean if that's fascism then i'm all on board and it's the same as with starship troopers if that's fascism then fascism seems great and seems like the only way for humanity to survive in a cruel universe if you know i don't know how many of you are familiar with the like sci-fi franchise warhammer 40,000 it's the same deal you call it and everyone says well it's what's that 
you call it by its real name. It's 40K, damn it. 40K? Nobody says 40,000. Yeah, it's 40K. Okay, well, <laughs> fine. Warhammer 40K. It's the same thing. It's like humanity is up against the ropes. There are giant like alien races hell-bent on killing every human and eating them. Of course they're going to have to. They're essentially on a war footing. And everyone's like, well, that's fascism. You're like, okay, if it's fascism to want to defend yourself against forces that threaten to destroy your way of life, then I'm all on board with fascism. Fascism seems like the right and correct response to that sort of external threat. And it's kind of very telling when the left freaks out about this because like, oh my gosh, don't be fascist, guys. And like, So, but you people define fascism as a defensive reaction to external threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't do that though. Make yourselves, com- and it's almost like, wait, <laughs> it's like there's the, uh, in the discourse about hell divers and starship troopers, a I'm gonna just this seems hilarious, ridiculous to me because I'm going to describe a meme that is shared on social media in verbal form, which I know is very bizarre. Like, what a world do we live in where this is happening? But the meme is always when I when there are people that post things that are like actually like, humanity's fascist and it's satire, and the response I often see is a pic is a Photoshop picture of one of the bugs from Starship Troopers sitting at a computer. Essentially to imply, like, yeah, is it the bugs typing this? <laughs> Are the aliens right. the ones typing this about fascism? Well, and that's, and, and well, the, and, and therein it lies kind of the more hilarious aspect of it is the fact that it's a, um, like, the left identifies with the bugs. They identify yeah. with the bugs, the genocidal bugs that are trying to murder all of humanity. And the whole reason why, though, is because, well, a bunch of people with a bunch of white people with guns going in and shooting stuff is colonialism. And, you yeah. know, a, a strong military and, and patriots. These are all things they hate yeah. when they literally uh, cannot. They, they literally cannot see a person standing with a weapon in hand and a flag behind them and pride on their face and not go, those are the people in America I hate. That's the whole reason for that. It, it, yeah. it's, it's no deeper meaning other than this looks just like the guy, the guys who joined the, the army and I hate them because they're all the white trash people that I hate. They're all the religious people, the conservative people, the whatever they see themselves as yeah. on the opposite of that. And and so it has nothing to, well, I mean, they call it fascism, but the reality is, is the reflection of it. It to them, any, any time there were even complaints about this for like modern warfare, right? The whole game franchise, modern warfare. There was a lot of times mm-hmm. that, that there were whiny shit libs that were complaining that it was, it's nothing more than a recruitment to go continue America's genocide and imperialism. And it's like, okay. Yeah. And it's because they they feel an emotional reaction and hatred for the person that the caricature that they see of basically a soldier because that soldier is pro- he was probably born in the South. He's probably Christian. He probably, mm-hmm. you know, do, he, he probably watches Fox News. Like it's just, I mean, they rightfully mm-hmm. they rightfully see that guy as a as an enemy combatant. Yes. Like they see anyone who anyone who stands up for white Christian civilization 
as an enemy combatant because they have declared themselves the enemy of white Christian civilization. Right. And it's something that's the, it's, it's it's that easy. That's that's why there is always this negative reaction to anything that especially young men like young and I'm not going to say specifically white men, but like young men in America who are because there is it was a majority white country, anything they thought was cool or interesting or into like military service became coded as that's enemy activity and we have to like destroy their interest in that because we can't have them becoming stronger enemy combatants against our goal of left-wing communist totalitarianism. The the gay race communism of the United States is directly opposed to the values that America used to have. Yeah, it's funny because um, Colleen on our uh, chat here on Rumble says like Starship Troopers kind of scares me a little in the opposite direction. And I've heard this too. I've talked to people about it because it's essentially Mm -hmm. a global empire. And so it, it's yeah. fu- it's funny because if you think interstellar like, even yeah like uh, well and a lot of times it's like the United Nations like global command or you know like the, there's there's yeah. no other way to really present it but it is funny because it's like well hold on a second though because in some ways on the American right we're like well no not a global government though now granted if we're you know spitting out across the stars maybe that would be a very different situation and facing an external you know alien threat perhaps but i totally understand it like i i get what she's saying there and it is it's hilarious but so so there are attacks mm -hmm. the the question to me is, is in every single one of these sort of franchises or things where it promotes it's like humanity is under threat from these alien menaces oh it's always on a war footing and in, it's like mm-hmm. in World War, and everyone's like, "Well, what about most civil liberties?" You're like, during World War II, uh, the American people voluntarily sacrificed a huge amount of their civil liberties for massive government programs, I wouldn't and say the vast majority of people it, would but... look at that and say that was completely justified by the external existential threat that was posed by the, our enemies in that war. Mm-hmm. And so you could say, well, in the say Starship Troopers universe. If the bugs were defeated and these external threats, were, the existential threats were defeated, there is like, is that really all that worrisome? And shoot, in the book Starship Troopers, it's like, well, in order to vote, you have to serve in the military. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, but in the book and even in the movie, it never describes non-citizens as in any way oppressed. In fact, in the movie Starship Troopers, which everyone claims is satire, the uh, Johnny Rico, the main character's parents are upper middle class yeah if not a slightly upper class like mm-hmm. they clearly portray them as they have a really nice house they talk about going on vacations to the out the, the beaches in the outer colonies like he's going to send his son to harvard like these people are upper class but they're civilians and not citizens so clearly civilians aren't in any way oppressed by the galactic federation they get to live lives of being upper middle class they just can't vote but it is clear that the citizens don't use that power to oppress the civilians. Right. And so it's like the book Starship Troopers, everyone says, talks about the horrors of fascism. But it's like it actually seems in the movie, especially, it seems like this seems fine. Everyone seems happy. Everyone seems healthy. Everyone's attractive. Like, if it's a, it, The thing is, if it's a satire of fascism... All it does is make fascism look completely normal and and like and fine. And even in the book, from what I remember, 
it was simple. It was. It didn't seem like the average, the life of the average citizen, or civilian, was in any way uh, oppressed as we would think. When people say fascism, what everyone I think thinks of is like, oh, it's like living under the Soviet Union with secret police and all this horror. You're like, yeah, but that's not how it's described in the books at all. Well, that's because that's not how it's described in the movie. It's just everyone's basically totally free and normal, with some um, sacrifice to civil liberties, which is totally understandable because they're in a state of existential war. Well, and that's because the it's not a satire on fascism. There's nothing in the book right. that is supposed to be satirical about fascism. It was it. The writer of the book is anti-communist mm-hmm. and therefore fascism. They call it fascism because he was anti-communist. The author right. of the book actually said, like said that the out the, the bugs were an allegory for communism. They were the perfection mm-hmm. of communism. Um, well, I mean, yeah, I would argue that that's probably very, very prescient. Yeah. That's that's why it's so funny when all these basically communists keep telling me not to uh, be interested in things they call fascism. Like, wait, but are the bugs writing this? The bugs are here. Like, this is an existential threat for the future. Existential threat to the future of Western civilization. So now, now a little bit, a little bit of uh, we'll call it market analysis. A little bit of market comparisons Hmm. when we talk about uh, games that you know games that have been hugely popular. So um, Helldiver specifically comes out from a more of an independent, a smaller studio, right? This is not a triple A game. But it's it's massive. It's hugely popular. People love it. Yeah. It, it is it is getting a ton of attention. Now let's compare sure. that to a game that I was eagerly awaiting for a very long time, which was Bethesda's release of the game Starfield. Now, mm, okay. I was really excited for Starfield because it was a new franchise coming out of Bethesda, the studio that made the Fallout series and the studio that makes the Elder Scrolls series. And since they're not going to give me Elder Scrolls six, they were going to give me Starfield. And I was like, all right, well, maybe it'll be awesome. You know, it's going to be Skyrim in space and very excited for this game. It Mm -hmm. uh, did not do well. Um, I have it. I have played it. I am trying my damnedest first of all there are a lot of technical issues because of stupid decisions made by bethesda for example them uh only release only releasing on xbox because they have an exclusivity contract with microsoft which also meant that they had an exclusivity contract with um specific chipsets and so if you didn't have an amd processor in your gpu uh starfield would be glitchy and suck for basically the first month and a half that it was released and wouldn't work on an NVIDIA uh, chipset because they're stupid. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. All those complaints aside, one of the, the the premise of Starfield itself is totally fine. Like you're flying around the universe and there's different factions and you need to kind of just figure your shit out and figure out this grand mystery of these objects and what have you. It doesn't really matter what the story is because Bethesda makes such immersive and great games. Honestly, Mm -hmm. the biggest problem is the story is flat and the dialogue sucks. And I can explain why. Is it the communists? So, well, first of all, the first character that you get is a girl named Sarah, and she 
is awful. First of all, she's insane. Like she's supposed to be normal, but she's a girl boss. But then she's also like not. And she's all over the place. Like the character writing is so bad that there's, there's actually a specific situation in this game where you basically, you go back to a crash site. Long story short, Sarah's a veteran of this previous war amidst all these factions and at one point she was commanding a ship and then the ship got shot down the crew was supposed to get out and then they ended up on a planet she was stranded for years by herself but then she found out that other members of her crew had survived you go back to the crash site so she can collect their tags and did whatever and you find out that they had a daughter now, two of her crew members ended up having a daughter and this like daughter was basically there by herself as an orphan living on this alien planet. And it's like, oh my gosh, like we have to help this girl. Makes total sense. Sure. Totally normal story. Great. It's a character development side quest. Awesome. So it's one of the funniest situations because in this, in, in this, you're going back and forth talking to Sarah and this girl doesn't want to leave her home. You know, she's lived there, but she's all by herself and she's younger. She's like probably, I don't know, let's let's say she's like 10 or 12. Um, But she, she can't live there by herself. Like it's, it's not going to work, but she doesn't want to leave her home. It's the only thing she has. So you're supposed to like this Sarah woman is like, oh my God, this poor girl's been by herself. We have to help her. We have to do something. We need to get her out of here. Can you talk to her? Cause she won't listen to me. So you're given this premise in this conversation. You need to go try to help convince this girl that it's okay to come with you and that she can't stay here. Her, both of her parents are now dead and she's all by herself. You need to bring her with you so she can be safe. So you start convincing this girl. Then you go and talk to Sarah again. And then she's mad at you because you're not respecting this girl's wishes. I'm not shitting you. That's in the script. It makes no sense. Like, But she's a child. Not only that, the the whole thing was she was like, can you please talk to her and convince her that she needs to come with us? She won't listen to me. You go and do exactly what this girl says. And then she's like, well, it's just we're taking her away from something she loves. And it just seems so mean. And and you're like, what the fuck? Like, you asked me to do this. Yeah. And so you can see this disconnect. This like this dumb, like, what the what the hell is going? It's, It's so much that like multiple people have commented on it. Like what this doesn't make any sense. Like, is she crazy? I don't get it now. Yeah. To that point though. Well, that and the, you know, random other dumb things that people have noted in Starfield. But like I said, the, the, the actual problem with it, I'm not going to just shit all over games unnecessarily um, because some people enjoy it. And you know, I, I want it to get better. I do want to play the game more. I want it to get better. Point is, though, is that obviously it had technical issues, but in addition to that, the story has been really flat. Well, when we talk about the story, there's a group known as Sweet Baby Inc. Now, I was tipped onto Sweet Baby Inc. by the podcast of the Lotus Eaters. And for those of you who don't know, anyone who's ever followed Sargon of Akkad, that's his group of people over in merry old England um, that put on a podcast regularly. And so they were talking about this a few weeks ago. They were talking about Hell Divers and they've talked about Sweet Baby Inc. and all of that. And the reason why Sweet Baby Inc. is coming up is because they were the script writers behind um, 
Kill the Justice League, Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League, which was a massive flop of a game and pissed off a ton of gamers because you basically have to kill the entire Justice League because they've gone evil, but it's also awful. The writing is awful. They kill okay. Batman in the most like in in the most uh, unceremonious and stupid way. There's dumb com there's dumb shitty woke comments all over the place in the game. And it's just it was a dumpster fire. Like a lot of people were just like, this game is annoying and dumb. It's a dumpster fire. Like, what the hell is this? It's a bunch of woke girl boss nonsense. Like, it's stupid. Anyway. Sure. It's because the narrative development was done by Sweet Baby Inc. Well, Sweet Baby Inc. is a group of people who got together and decided that they needed to DEI games. And so their claim is, is that they can be hired. I'm going to put air quotes. You can't see them hired at game studios to help develop their narratives to be more inclusive. That's that's the claim and the point of it. But we all know how this DEI stuff works. They go to game studios and they probably threaten them into hiring them and say, if you don't hire us, we're going to get all of our shit lib people in the media to talk about how you're an evil game company and we're going to destroy your stock prices. Yeah, like just just like what we saw with BLM. It's not there's there's no corporation that was just super excited to pay a bunch of money to somebody who doesn't make any revenue for their company and instead basically makes HR a shadow government. There was nobody who wanted to do that after the whole BLM deal, but they had to do it because of number one, the uh, uh, ESG scores and ESG scores being part of being a factor in your uh, uh favorability for credit is has now basically become a threat that can be utilized by dumb leftist groups to force their ideology into your company. So I promise you that Sweet Baby Inc. does exactly that. They go to game developments and say, basically, if you don't hire us, we're going to tell everybody that you're big, mean racists, and we're going to destroy your ESG score, your stock prices, and we'll uh, basically engage the cancel culture uh, wagon. Well, People have become more uh, attuned to Sweet Baby Inc. being the group that ruins games, to include Starfield, because they were the consultants on the story for Starfield, which is why it's woke and dumb. But Neat. there is a user on Steam who decided that, well, people should know whether or not Sweet Baby Inc. is involved in a game. We should be able to tell them so people will know what games are developed by this. And all this person did, all this user on Steam did, was go and go to their website and find the games that they developed and made a list and posted it on Steam. For one reason or another, all of the employees at this company, Sweet Baby Inc., who are all very woke decided, oh my God, uh, we have to destroy this person. We have to get them banned from Steam and social media. We have to go after them. This can't, this cannot stand. Well, which, okay. Uh, explain why? Like, why would you, what I, it, it, it makes almost no sense. Like I, he, all he did was make a, make a posting that says, and it's, it's called, so they basically turned it into a meme and it's the sweet baby ink detected. 
And so like, that's a meme mm. that people are putting on games, like whether or not it has anything to do with this, this group. Um, so the, for those who don't know, the steam user's name is, uh, Kibrutis. And so he has okay. a steam group page and this pissed off, uh, the, one of the, like one of the uh, main people at sweet baby Inc. Whose name is Chris, uh, Chris Kindred. And so he's posting about this saying, uh, this, the steam curator harassment group, sweet baby Inc. Uh, detected is led by this person. Here's, uh, here's them trying to be slick so they don't get reported. Even with discriminatory language filed off, the group itself still fails, fails the code of conduct. Oh no, not the code of conduct. Now to give you an idea of some of the things that are said by employees of sweet baby Inc. Uh, one of, one of the, uh, develop or one of the, I don't know, commenters, writers, whatever the hell you want to call them at this company, uh, who goes by the, uh, name on, uh, X as Lego butts. She works for them. Lego butts, huh? Yeah. She works for them. And, uh, here are some of the statements that have been made in the past. Uh, like pay me to shoot down your white male, white male lead game ideas. I just thought about Mm. trying this again with a photo of a young white person about to be ripped open, but I'm getting, but I'm betting folks would immediately flag it as traumatic. And I'm guessing, I'm guessing the image would get taken down before response is accumulated. Another post saying, I usually get grossed out when straight white rich people kiss, but even I think those two are pretty cute as well as had a nightmare that I was a white male gamer. They're not sending their best, are they, folks? Right. And here's here's her explanation. This is her mission statement for working at Sweet Baby Inc. We have to look at we have to look at story and narrative as one of the things that we can innovate on. Like when you have some when you have someone in in sorry, when you have someone in from a different culture, from a different background, from a different gender, they're going to create something new that we haven't seen before. The way we look at demographics is we go, okay, the majority of our player base is, let's say, a white male. So we're going to make stuff for white males. But if you make something from that pers- from the perspective of an Asian trans woman and it's really Ew. strong, then it will work for people. People crave new stories. If you want to innovate, even stay current, it's not about graphics. It's not about hardware. It's about opening up a new, uh, opening up new perspectives for people. So I explain it as it's important for game developer development to diversify. It's not just part of advocacy or activism. It's going to make your games better. Alex, uh, Alex also, of course, gamers are mostly white guys. You're, you're making games for white guys. Try, try making games for somebody else. Maybe they'll show up. Mm. So yeah, this is the D uh, the, the DEI attack against, against gaming. And that's, you know, that's the whole point. (laughs) It is very annoying. It's, and it's not just know video games it's kind of everything um this as video games go so goes pretty much every other cultural marker we kind of have right i mean it's it's books you could say the same thing about books you could say the same thing about movies like every single 
thing that we uh, entertainment is no longer made by essentially Americans. It's made by people with these sorts of terrible ideas. Right. And um, there, there's also this penchant uh, in, on the left where uh, basically they want to hijack things that, you know, things that they know people like, and then they want that. They say this this out loud. It's the quiet part out loud, but they they say it regularly, which is we want to hijack things um, that people like, and then start injecting our ideology into it to try to force them to like that too. It's funny because there is a clip, and I'm I'm not going to be able to find it right now, where one of the developers at Sweet Baby Inc. like flat out says that, like the entire po- point of this is we want to get them to like stuff and then start injecting our like ideology into it. And then they'll like that too, which is interesting because it's actually reflective of, um, an undercover, uh, investigation. Uh, there was an undercover investigation that Steven Crowder was a part of at Pornhub where they yeah. got create, they got, uh, uh, producers that work for Pornhub and uh, on a hidden camera and the guy actually states, yeah, we want to start um, injecting trans people into regular porn because then people will start to mm-hmm. like it. And that was also that investigation is also where it came out that they were like, oh, yeah, no, it's totally OK uh, for us to target kids because how else are they going to learn about sex unless they watch our porn? And then, and then they would be, and then they could be introduced to alternate sexualities. That was part of that whole conversation. And so like, this is, this is the, uh, this is the mindset that liberals come from, which is like, oh, everybody hates our thing. Well, it's all because they're so stupid. And, uh, so what we're, what we should do is infiltrate things they like, and then start basically, basically we should just start injecting our, uh, shit liberty, li- shit liberty into the things they like, and basically force them to like it. Which eh, I'm not going to lie, basically explains television, movies, and media in the last thirty years. Yeah, uh, a phrase that could be used is normalize. Yes, they want to normalize these things, essentially to make it so that, um, well, like like a lot of people, how many people would culturally disagree anymore with the idea of things like gay marriage right maybe some people would but i think a lot more people would probably go well i mean it's like an established thing mm-hmm. it's the same thing that they do with the science right it's like how many people would argue against global warming like most people would go well i mean it's just the established science like it's essentially it builds this consensus if everything you see on tv if it all agrees it builds this consensus in people's minds. Go well. I'm sure just everybody believes this. This is the this is the established set of ideas that we operate under as a society. And then we take people on the fringe like us, going, "But this is not what we all think. This is a small group of people putting these things in front of you through mass media to manipulate the opinions of the mass group of people. Like if you got rid of mass media and Hollywood and just polled people, the vast majority of people would be like, well, yeah, I would have opinions that would be much more, which would be much more conservative. Right. And it is only through this false perception created by mass media intentionally. So that most people think the U S is really liberal. 
Well, when that, it, the, the reality is it is not. That's why the left has such a panic attack. Like that's why they lost their damn yeah. minds when Elon Musk bought Twitter, which um, not to not to go down more of Elon Musk's like deal, but a judge actually, we're going to talk a lot about the judiciary this show, but a judge recently Great. basically just ruled that uh, Elon Musk is not allowed to make any money from any work that he's done over the last few years at Tesla. A judge ruled Why? that. No, because Elon Musk is paid by um, his uh, share positions. That's that's how he gets okay. paid. So basically, if he does really well and Tesla stock gains, then he makes money. Uh, and he has made quite a bit of money and a judge uh, because they've been going after Tesla and they've been going after basically everything that he owns because he's a big meanie mean who lets people talk openly. Um, a judge just ruled he's not allowed to make any of that money. Which I, I I mean, I don't know how that's going to hold up in a court of appeals because I have no idea how the hell a judge can say you're not allowed to get paid your rightful contractually yeah. obligated salary. Uh, but it's even better. And I, I don't want to dive too far into the story because I don't know a lot about it because I try not to uh, I try not to get involved in like Elon Musk's legal issues too much because uh, they don't mm-hmm. directly affect me. Anyway, point is um, the. Suing attorneys are trying to get paid by those very same stock options. So just Mm -hmm. so you're aware, those attorneys are trying to get $5 billion worth of stock options as their payment for, uh, for suing Elon Musk, which also would give them a over 25% voting, uh, ability on the board of Tesla. So yeah, it's ridiculous. A group of well, attorneys. Well, and it goes mm-hmm. to it goes to show the the I the left knows that it is essentially a occupation force trying to manipulate and control mm-hmm. a hostile nation. It's trying to manipulate, control, subvert, and undermine what it sees as a hostile nation. So, like, think of it as we are living under occupation. Mm-hmm. So everything you see on the news. The, everything, you, all the movies you see is being created by people who view themselves as the overlord of a conquered of a conquered nation trying to keep it subservient. Well, and don't don't take it from us. Why don't you take it from the uh, from two gentlemen, Tom Schaller and Paul Waldman, the authors of White Rural Rage, A Threat to Democracy. Schaller mm-hmm. and Joining us now, professor of political science at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, Tom Schaller, and journalist and opinion writer Paul Waldman. Their new book, Out Tomorrow, is entitled White Rural Rage, The Threat to American Democracy. And Tom, we'll start with you. Uh, Why are white rural voters a threat to democracy at this point? You would think, as we pointed out, looking at Joe Biden's background and Donald Trump's, that, that the opposite would be true. I mean, we lay out the fourfold interconnected threat that white rural voters pose to the country. First of all, and we show 30 polls and national studies to demonstrate this. So we provide the receipts in chapter six. They're the most racist, xenophobic, anti-immigrant, and anti-gay geodemographic group in the country. Second, they're the most conspiracist group. All right. So let, let's I'm going to pause this throughout. Um, they're the the most racist. Xenophobic anti-immigrant demographic. What definition are they using for democracy in America here? Well, we all know what that is. 
Yeah, you, you're. A I mean, but yeah. to me, that's the that's the interesting part. Is America was created essentially by the values and culture of white rural people, who are the closest I think we still have to the original founder founding values of America. And if those values are not compatible with democracy, then democracy is not an Amer is not is no longer can, should be considered an American phenomenon. Whatever this democracy is they're talking about is fundamentally anti-American because the people who embody its values, if, if the people who embody its values are not considered to be supporting democracy, then democracy is not the is not American. This democracy they're talking about has nothing in common with the democracy of white rural voters ancestors. Right. Well, and, and so you know, <clears throat> we're no longer America. Like well, it's this neat, this new American empire is what they dis is, is what right rural voters disagree with. Well, of course they do because it has been subverted away from what their ancestors created. Well, and let's, um, let's remember that, or like, you know, since we're going to talk about definitions, what makes them racist being anti BLM? What makes them anti-immigrant? They don't want ma they don't they don't want mass immigration mm -hmm. from the third world flooding into their communities. Right. That makes them horrible and racist. And you're like, yeah, well, fine. If it is, if that's what it makes them, doesn't matter. They're totally justified in that position. Right. Well, and uh, yeah, so their definitions of, you know, they're xenophobic and they're anti-immigrant and they're racist. It means you don't support BLM. It means that you don't support uh, floods of illegal immigrants coming across the border. It means that you uh, don't support forever wars, you know, with the xenophobia. Mm -hmm. Like we shouldn't just, you know, be involved in every other country and we shouldn't just have, you know, wide open doors for everybody. But but let, let's let's see what else they have to say here. QAnon support and subscribers, election denialism, COVID denialism and scientific skepticism, Obama birtherism. Third, anti-democratic sentiments. They don't believe in an independent press, free speech. They're most likely to say the president should be able to act unilaterally without any checks from Congress or the courts or the bureaucracy. They're also the most strongly white nationalist and white Christian nationalist. And fourth, they are most likely to excuse or justify violence as an acceptable alternative to peaceful public discourse. So in which that last part's insane to me because the left literally has Antifa and BLM. Yeah, they cheered the violence that burned down American cities, caused billions in property damage and killed dozens of people during 2020. And all these other things they mentioned, like QAnonism. Yeah, anyone can define, can anyone define that other than I am concerned about child sex trafficking? <laughs> right. Uh, COVID denialism. Hey, guess what? This same media outlet that's publishing this told me that COVID originated from a wet market in China because a guy like ate a bat that had eaten a snake. And I was told that if I disagreed with that, it was some anti sort of sort of anti-Asian race science denying racism. Right. Not. Oh, but it turns out. Yeah, no, it came from the Wuhan virology lab. Right. Like that was next door to the wet market. I mean, every single thing in there is essentially just current thingism. Right. Yeah. Like they don't there are people agree that with disagree with the media narrative. Yep. Yeah. And that's like, and like white Christian nationalism. 
Okay, well, I mean, all the founding fathers were white. The docu- the Constitution was written by white people. They were all Christians. They even had written like the first immigration and naturalization bill passed by the founding fathers of the country specified citizenship should only apply to like white Christian males. So you're like, well, this America that we're all supposed to care about with a dem- constitution and all these other things is essentially a essentially was built by white Christian nationalists. Yeah. And so it's, these people are essentially just embodying the are, – are just a remnant embodying the original founding ideals of America. But that's the thing. Like is, what, is is, white, what is white Christian nationalism? Like, oh, it's a country where we don't have like abortion and all of this horror and violence. Yeah. Oh, well, that, that sounds fine. Like – what if what if America was a good country instead of one riven by horrible ethnic divisions and terror? Like, okay. Yeah. Well, they want to shut down journalists. You mean the journalist that tell, told me that COVID originated from the wet market? The journalist that refused to cover the crimes and malfeasance of any Democrat? Like, it, it it's fascinating because it's to me listening to these people talk. The entire goal of this is to shut down the very valid criticism of their of hostile occupation of the United States. It's like these people are upset that we have taken over their country and are twisting it into some horrible mockery of the values they once hold held. It's like, you know what? And I don't, and I don't disagree. What is the biggest threat to democracy? Yeah, it might be white rural rage, but this democracy that we live in in America absolutely has to be destroyed because it is delivering us nothing but ruin and horror. Well, this it is, is intentionally designed to be counter to our future happiness and liberty. And it is become the actually it has absolutely become the tyranny that the founding fathers were warned against and terrified against. The same thing I bet in here they talk about it's like they want all these guns. You're like, yeah, because the founding fathers said we should have guns to stop exactly the government and society that these people are trying to create. That is the purpose of the Second Amendment was to stop the exact tyranny that the left wants to enact upon us. Well, and it's 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 funny because, you know, the threat to democracy is white rural rage. You mean the people that you have literally shit on for decades, the people that like think about this. First of all, let's just be honest here. They mean the South. It's a caricature. Well, they they, they wrote yeah, a book. They mean the South, but really, what they mean is any. Well, they mean any, any white, white person, person that voted for Trump. Yeah, well, it's, of, it's of Trump course. voters, really. Yeah, anymore. And they call it white rural rage to try to make it sound trendy. These are nothing but elitist shit libs. But I guarantee, let's just take I don't know Paul Waldman as example, one of the co-authors here. Mm-hmm. If I were to write a book that was called Upper Class Jewish Rage: A Threat to American Democracy. I feel like he would call it racism. I'm I feel, I feel like he would. He would go, this is the most horrible anti-Semitism. Didn't you know, like, every member of my family died in the Holocaust? Right. Uh, but shockingly, <laughs> shockingly, here we are. And th- yeah. uh, honestly, that simple fact right there, if, if you believe that there's this white rural rage, it's exactly that. Right there, what I just said, if I wrote a book that was called Black Urban Rage or Upper Class Jewish Rage, if I wrote a book like that and that said it was a threat to democracy, I would be called a racist. I would be called anti-Semitic. I would be 
chased out of town, pilloried. I would be completely ruined if I wrote anything like that. But you can do it, it to white people. Yeah. You can do it to Christians. It, it wouldn't be. It, it would not. It would. You, your argument would not be given credence exactly. if you did that. Right. Your argument wouldn't be listened to, and it wouldn't. And it certainly wouldn't be taken seriously. And and, and once again, I mean, the fact that this guy again, you said like he's Jewish. I think because because he looks white, a lot of people will not see this for what it is, which is simply his ethnic group sees itself in competition with white people. And it needs to essentially destroy the ability of white people to be sovereign and defend their liberty so that his group can keep an advantage. If a Chinese guy wrote this book, we would see it in that light. They go, oh, well, of course the Chinese guy is going to demean and call like any white people. If, if white people didn't want the Chinese domination of their nation... Well, of course they wouldn't want that, and that's why he's writing this book. Like, if a black guy wrote this book about white rural rage is a threat to American democracy, you go, well, I mean, he's not white, and he's simply promoting his own group interests over what he sees as a foreign group interest. Well, that makes total sense, and I'm not going to take his argument seriously, because this comes from a place of ethnic supremacy, not actual serious discussion of our democracy. It's like if, if a Hispanic guy wrote this, like white rural rage is the biggest threat to stopping Hispanics from running America. You'd go, well, of course he thinks that he's just, he's a Hispanic supremacist. Like this guy's just a Jewish supremacist who wants his group in running America. If an Indian person wrote this book, you'd go, well, yeah, you're an Indian supremacist that looks at that is trying to that in your group is gaining more influence in America. And you're writing this book to try and neuter any kind of um, any kind of defensive reaction that the that the current population has against the domination of Indians, for example, which I mean, Indians are the second highest uh, average income group in the United States. Mm -hmm. And if I, I as a white person look at that and go, well, that seems like kind of bullshit, like. This country was founded by my ancestors. It's kind of crazy that we're being ethnically dispossessed, displaced, and oppressed by our government in favor of these other ethnic groups who just showed up on our shores within the last 20 years. That, that's a totally reasonable view. It's like, I want, and it doesn't even, it doesn't have to be specifically race either. It's, it's, it's all of it together. It's, I want the monuments my ancestors erected to be venerated, not torn down and defaced. I want the holidays that they established to be celebrated, not replaced with new ones. I want the religion that they had to be allowed to flourish rather than suppressed and demonized. I want the ideas they had about liberty and the way of life and the social structures they built, I want those to be continued rather than subverted and destroyed. Because they are, that is my people and my heritage and my culture that we created over like our entire history. It's like my family came to the American shores in the old, in like 1833. So yeah, like we've been here for a bit. I feel a connection to America and the culture that exists within it going back that far. And so all of these new people who come from foreign alien races and cultures and societies demanding that my society change, I go, you have no basis to say this. Go to your homelands. Go away. Get away from us. Stop trying to change, subvert, and destroy what my people built and have.
Yeah, leave us alone, like, colonizer. Well, you, you did that to the Indians. Well, it's like, yeah, yeah. We showed up and crushed the Indians. And guess what? If the And guess what? Are you saying that the Indians were wrong to oppose that? Because I don't think they were. I think they were absolutely justified in fighting for what they for fighting us for America. They lost that fight. You know, too bad for them. And now I look at that and go, yeah, I don't want what ha- I don't want what happened to the Indians to happen to me. And all these p- other people will anyone who brings that up just go, oh, so this is about revenge. This is about yeah. revenge or some historic slight that didn't even happen. In fact, all of these new arrivals, they're just going to do you think that as America becomes less white, how do you think the new Americans are going to treat the remnants of the native populations? We put them on reservations and have basically subsidized their livelihoods with our tax money ever since. Mm-hmm. Do you think blacks, Hispanics, Indians, Jews, do you think they're going to care as much about trying to preserve the remnants of the native nations like white people have? I don't think so. I think that they're going to be much more antagonistic toward the remnants of the native population. Well, right. Well, because they, they use them as a bully pulpit. You did this mean thing yeah. to the Indians once, therefore we're totally justified in getting whatever we want, which is always kind of hilarious because it's like, well, how does this benefit the tribe over there? Oh, well, fuck them. We don't care. Oh, by the way, just so you know, uh, the the rural America that you show so much disdain for uh, also includes those. Yeah. Because it, it it's going to look all, you know, aside from the fact that they're a little bit brown, uh, they look exactly the same. Mm-hmm. There's way more in common with a rural white American and somebody from the Sioux tribe than there ever will be anyone that lives in New York City. Yeah, well, and, and honestly, like we've been in, we've been in con, we've been living with the natives for much longer than we have a bunch of say. Um, Pakistanis. Right. And it's like the, it's just, it's all, it all boils down to groups from the sort of rich elite class like this Waldman guy. They view themselves as having conquered and taken occupation of the United States. And their goal is to now twist the United States into something that preserves their status and control against the native population who rightfully would oppose their domination. Well, now, and like, we're not the same people. And they and, are an alien force that has taken over the United States from outside. And we are now essentially a insurgency trying to take our nation back or save what can be saved from it. Now, we um, should also probably responsibly point out um, what is it that these types of people want for America. Well, a really good example would come from a recent talk that was given by Colonel Bree Fram of the United States Space Force. Um, This is... She sounds like a lovely woman. uh, Well, it's not a woman. Um, Oh. It's a man. It's some sort of horrible Um, fusion of science and a mockery of God. (laughs) This This is from the presentation From Firsts to the Future, Why Inclusion Matters from the from Colonel Bree Fram of the United States Space Force. This is a talk that was given to uh, by by a full bird colonel in the United States Space Force to 
a group of people to include likely, obviously, military service members, which we'll get into mm. interesting parts about that in just a second. But but here's here's a clip of of that speech. We have inclusion across all groups in the military. Come back tomorrow morning for the first 10 minutes and then then run away. I'm going to focus a little bit more today on my story and that of transgender service members and how and why that fits into the picture of why inclusion matters. Why does it matter to us as a military? Why is it not a negative that some people may believe it to be? And how do we as leaders use it to enhance mission accomplishment? But I want to start here. This was less than two years ago, two a, days after a 10-hour surgery yeah. that opened me up from here to here and washed Ugh. out all my insides with chemotherapy after removing several organs. Oh, okay. I was terrified. This was, as I said, this was two days later, and I was still terrified. Not that I was going to die, which was <laughs> a, certainly a th consideration before the surgery, but that I'd never put the uniform back on again. Oh no. All of us come into the service knowing there will be a day we take the uniform off for the final time. We hope that it is on our terms. In many cases, it's not. That is the cost of service. What? But we want to get to that day where it is our choice whether or not we take this uniform off. And I did not know that I would be healthy enough to ever put it on again. But there is a reason that I wanted to stay, that I wanted to be part of this military service. And I hope by the end of what we get through today, you'll realize exactly what that is. I mean, somebody's got to pay for all those estrogen pills and the transgender surgeries. Right. It's so weird because it's like, what? What is going on? No, what she's talking about there, I think, is this re is this the remnant of "Don't Ask, Don't Tell" when you couldn't be gay in the military, which is well, you, know, you could transgenders and gays didn't talk about it. Yeah, right. And so she, what, what this person? Oh, when I hate the fact that I'm using she. Um, mm -hmm. What this dude in a dress is saying is, I just wanted to be able to be a sexual deviant in the military and not have anyone think less of me. Like, yeah, the thing is, that's a totally natural human reaction that you can't really excise, but. Oh, where'd you go? You, you <laughs> oh. could try, I guess. Let's oh. please work. Let's go to the board and look at what's military recruiting numbers. Oh, wait, they're fucking dismal. Oops. <laughs> it's so... Why Gross. is there a recruiting crisis with leaders like this? I'm trying to see what that surgery was referencing because I I, gra I didn't really listen through the entire video. I saw it floating around, so I was like, oh, I'll go grab it. It, it, it um, sounds like if she said chemo, it's it uh, sounded he like said cancer. Chemo, it sounds like cancer, right? Which I mean, I don't know. I know that one of the side effects of taking a bunch of hormones is increased risk for cancer. Not sure if that's related, but it would be kind of ridiculous if it was. Yeah, and I was trying to uh, what that was all about. 
because what what I do know is so it, it was all about inclusion. I have no idea what the hell that has to do with it, it's basically like you need to include me like basically you can't be against me because at one point um I thought I might not be able to put the uniform on uh but then I did and I should only be allowed to take my uniform off on my terms. Except for, I bet you yeah. absolutely supported throwing out over eight thousand service members because they didn't want to take your fucking vaccine. Yeah. What about their there choice to go out on their own terms? Well, you see, they were bad guys who didn't trust the science, and the science is what made that man uh, the woman she is today. Right. But at the same point, like. You have to, you have to acknowledge that, well, the problem is, is that they are a hundred percent like, mm -hmm. go ahead. I didn't hear anything in there that was an actual defense of inclusivity. Like what was the, where, where was that? Like what, why, how is inclusivity increasing mission success? or capability or morale it was all about it seems it, like it, it simply was just like i get to be here because we're inclusive like okay well you get to be here but are you even a good officer like it seems like inclusivity is driving military recruitment numbers into the dirt because white men are going white men the traditional military serving class are going well this organization clearly doesn't represent me why would i want to be part of it and I fail to see how adding a bunch of mentally ill troons is going to increase mission readiness when the reality is you need people willing to do some serious and intense stuff. And it doesn't seem like transgenders are to either really up to the snuff. If anything, they're not any better than normal people because that's what they claim. They claim, oh, well, we're just normal people. Okay, well, if you're just normal people, then why does it matter? How are how is it being inclusive? What is what do you bring to the table that normal white sexually healthy men aren't can't bring to the table? Well, and it's 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 a very telling thing that the entire discussion was let's talk about inclusion, but first let's talk about me because obviously yeah. I'm a complete and total narcissist. I'm an absolute narcissist and the world fucking revolves around me and my problems. Mm -hmm. And it is now the responsibility of the United States Department of Defense, the United States Space Force and the United States taxpayer uh, to take care of my fucking problems. Guarantee, by the way, the transgender can like a cancer surviving uh, lieutenant or not lieutenant full bird colonel is on a full fucking profile and is not even mission capable. Well, see, being mission capable, that's just, you know. That's just antiquated white male standards. Right. <laughs> Surely anybody can be in the military. Like, it doesn't matter if you're in a wheelchair. Everyone has a shot at being infantry and special forces. It'd be, it'd be, it'd be discrimination to, to set these standards. You know, the real, prob the real problem with Iraq is that they don't have enough ramps. Um. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you saw the same sort of thing when they rolled out women in the infantry. And what everyone in the infantry actually, their actual concern was, are you going to lower standards in order to meet your political goals? 
And they painted that as, all of these people just hate women. And it was, no, these people are infantrymen who are, all the infantrymen I ever worked with were pretty dedicated to being infantrymen and not dying in combat. And, re and they recognized the serious pragmatic concerns of if someone can't drag a full-grown man wearing full kit out of the line of fire, that is a danger not only to him, but to the entire mission. So maintaining physical standards is abs was absolutely key to mission completion for the infantry. Full and there, full that was, that's why that was their only concern about women in the infantry was are you going to neuter standards to force to get a bunch of women in so you can basically claim that you've diversified the force right and that's exactly what has happened well and but now they have mm -hmm. done that and now you have you have this you know you have from firsts to the future why inclusion matters being presented by a full bird colonel which you know decides the career um progression and uh, for yeah. any officer underneath his command, and this is obviously something that is, you know, cheered on by general officers in the United States military, uh, because you can tell by the promotions, uh, they're, they're yeah. either afraid not to promote or they're fully accepting and they get, they get the military that they wish for. They got the military that they wished mm -hmm. for last week. Because last week, a member of the United States Air Force went in front of the Israeli embassy and poured gas over his head and set himself on fire while screaming free Palestine. That kid, that kid was radicalized by the mm -hmm. left. He was radicalized by the anti-American left who hates the military hates the heritage American population sees everything through the guise of race and oppression and victimhood. And this kid got radicalized by a bunch of dumb shit. Liberty mostly probably just on the internet and was so radicalized that he set himself on fire while screaming free Palestine. Yeah. That's that kind of radicalism. And I'm not saying because he was supporting Palestine. It's a foreign country. If someone set themselves on fire over Israel, same thing. It's extremism. It's radicalization over this current thing nonsense. But at the same time, I like, I don't like it. I don't like that, a, that, that a, a, a fucking service member committed suicide on camera for social media mm -hmm. by setting himself on fire in a insanely radical act. I don't like that that happened, but at the same time, I can't say that the generals, the general officers and the leaders of the Department of Defense are all that disappointed because this is exactly the fucking recruit that they've been asking for for decades now. This is the this is the recruit. This is the ser the serviceman who cares about diversity and equity and inclusion. Yeah, like, that's who these people are. Like, how how would they be surprised by this guy? I remember. This is the goal. 
these are the kind of people that they actively want to get in the military. Yeah, this is the culture they want in the military. They want activists. They want liberal activists uh, that want to that would rather show up at a BLM or Antifa protest than go defend their fucking country. That's what they want. They want to push out the white liberal the, or the white rural rage. They want to get rid of that because, by the way. It's interesting because remember that was uh, that was also statements that were made by General Miley in front of Congress is the angry white men that he wanted to get rid of in the military that the military was full of angry yeah. white men and he was going to change that they wanted to get rid of that because it was so it was such a problem and while they're getting yeah. they're getting what they want they're getting a bunch of activists they're not getting soldiers. They're not getting infantrymen. They're getting a bunch of fucking activists who, by the way, also view the U.S. taxpayer as their piggy bank. Yeah, because well, mm -hmm. I mean, is rather alarming when you have people like this in the military that I'm sure fully subscribed to the ideas of white rural rage. Uh, if those people were ever called upon to fire on American civilians who uh, I have every reason to believe they would do so. Oh, they want to. Like, it, as a white rural rager, like, as someone in that demographic, I, I, good. If more of these people burn themselves alive, that's fewer of them that could send a drone strike into my house at the, at the behest of the Biden government. It's... Yeah. And it, it, it's just... It's funny because uh, the military is no longer facing a recruiting crisis, according to the military, you know, because a lot of people were pointing out the recruiting crisis and being like, well, you guys have done yeah. literally everything you can to take the demographic that signs up for the military and tell them that they're not wanted here. Um, so, yeah, yeah, of course, you have a recruiting crisis. So what does the DOD do? Uh, they go out and say, uh, actually... We're just going to change how many troops we need. And now look, we don't have a recruiting crisis anymore. Yeah. Those mean Republicans can no longer claim that we are, uh, that we're understaffing the military because we've made it something that is directly opposed to the interests of the majority of Americans. So I did that. I ran the numbers. Currently the U S military is essentially at 85% strength. Uh, According to last number's recruitment goals, uh, there are 110, roughly 110,000 active service member members out of essentially the target, which was 130,000. So a de deficit of about 20,000 servicemen. Like 20, you, there should be 20,000 more people than there are in the military, but then that's how many they didn't get. Well, it was just released on uh, the 27th. The U.S. Army is cutting its force by 24,000 uh, because we no longer need it. You know, gee, global war on terror is over. And due to our, you know, new smart officers and all these amazing technologies, we don't need all of these soldiers. So actually, we're not undermanned. Everything's exactly the way it should be. We're totally it. OK, here's the here's the quote. This is from um, I guess it's from Fox News. As the U.S. Army struggles with recruitment, the service is cutting its force by 24,000 in a restructuring that it says will help will help the service fight in future wars. Uh, how does having less people help you fight a war? <laughs> right. <laughs> or, okay, pardon me, actually. Uh, the service is currently structured to have up to 494,000 soldiers 
but the total number of active duty soldiers is 445,000. So the recruiting numbers are basically fell short by 20,000 last year. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I say it was 129,000, I think was the target recruitment number to add into the military. Uh, They only got 110,000. Right. (laughs) Oh, and, and guess, and here's where they're making a bunch of the cuts. They're cutting special forces. They are, I believe they're cutting infantry and they're adding a lot more cybersecurity and drone warfare and things like that. It's like, well, I don't know about you, but I've been looking quite interestedly at the Ukraine conflict. And one thing that is a big, big change if in the conflict in Ukraine from the established method of the U- of US warfare is that you need bodies. You need bodies on the ground doing stuff like taking positions in modern combat because weaponry has changed requires a weight of force to accomplish the idea that we can just do this with long range fire and air the air force that idea is essentially being put to the test in ukraine and it's being found that on both sides of that conflict the people that are able to field more numbers of troops in a given area at any one time has a massive advantage. The idea that we can just do this with drones and all, I don't know if that's going to come to fruition. Because you still, and the thing is, in the military, there is a lot of support positions that need to be filled, and increasingly so with the more technical the force becomes. So if we add a bunch of drones, like that seems like best lesson in the Ukraine conflict is tactical use of, of small scale drones proliferating across the battlefield absolutely is the new way of making war well that's each one of those drone operators is a guy who can't be storming an enemy position right so you need just that many more people to supply that you need that many more people to maintain the drones and to do like train drone warfare like you're not getting rid of any capabilities you're adding more capabilities and the idea that we can shrink our force while simultaneously trying to add more capabilities is a going to massively overburden the people that are still in and probably what i bet is going to happen is this is all going to be a bait and switch because in the end of the day i bet they quote cut the force but then make up those numbers by hiring civilian contractors right from raytheon so then right from raytheon from (laughs) halliburton from all these companies because that's exactly what they did during the global war on terror Mm mm-hmm the in the during the whole like Afghanistan and Iraq, Congress basically said capped the number of troops that could be deployed to a combat zone. So what the military did, which was again smart on their point part, is they basically said, okay, well we want the maximum number of fighting bodies in a combat zone because our the number of soldiers is capped, and so they basically started um, outsourcing. A lot of support positions like cooks and laundry and all of these other support positions that could have been taken over by more soldiers running bases, running dining facilities, repairing vehicles, doing all of this work. They outsourced because then they could say, well, we only have so many troops in theater when the reality is the number of American personnel in theater was drastically higher than the number of troops. It was just a bait and switch. And at the end costs, basically they spent their way out of the problem because hiring a civilian contractor is dramatically more expensive than 
sending a soldier that you just already have in the military. And anyway, I'm I'm sure a lot of this is just it's just nonsense and it again fails to recognize what the actual problem is, which is the US government and the military have essentially signaled to a vast vast section of the American population that they are do not serve your interests and actively work to deny your sovereignty. And some people go, why would I sign up? Mm-hmm. What am I going to go fight for gay rights in Nigeria rather than defend the border from flooding, like illegal aliens flooding across? It it basically ceases to be a valuable a value proposition. It's like oh, and like and then also it's like if you're a white guy, if you're a white guy from the south, who should be jumping out of an airplane for the hundred and first airborne, you look at it and go. Well, they, the military seems to hate white people. Like they had the whole stand down for white supremacy. Like they have all this DEI, diversity and inclusion stuff. I'm sure if I go in, I'm going to be promoted last. I will probably be targeted for by command for extra scrutiny. Why would I join? I mean, that's honestly what I would tell any young young white guy looking to join the military. I'd go, listen, if you join, know that the culture inside the military is essentially is going to treat you like a second class citizen. Right. And the thing is, all of these people like this Troon in charge of Space Force would agree with me. They'd go, well, yeah, we have to promote white men last because, you know, they're oppressors. In, and you go, well, yeah, well, that's fine. But don't be upset when a bunch of white dudes don't want to join your little oppression party. The, um, <laughs> I believe it was the former... It was, I believe, it was either the former uh, chief of staff of the Air Force or Space Force be, uh, before he switched jobs. And I believe it was the Air Force. He he was this black guy, and he announced, "We need to make the Air Force less white." Currently, there's you know seventy percent of our pilots are white men, and we need to drop that number down to like twenty percent. And I mean, the only way you can do that is essentially to go, well, we're just not going to recruit or promote any white men into the pilot training programs. And if you're a white pilot already, we're not going to promote you anymore. And because we want to force white pilots out of the military. And he basically said this goes for the whole force. He wanted the, the Air Force. He said, well, there's way too many white male officers so we need to take steps to make it more, quote, diverse. Well, the way that functionally would happen is you try to force out white male officers and only recruit people of BIPOCs into your officer program. Mm-hmm. So if you're a white officer in the Air Force, there's no way you could look at that and go, oh, so I'm essentially, my career is essentially being penalized because of the color of my skin. I have absolutely no allegiance to this organization anymore. And if you're a white guy looking to become a pilot, you go, oh, well, I'm not going to give my service to the U.S. military. They hate me. If you want to know how dumb officers can be, and then I'm going to go to a palate cleanser real quick. But um, if, if you want to know how dumb officers can be. So Alan and I were in Afghanistan in 2012 during the presidential election. And there was a debate in our S2 shop where a first lieutenant literally said that he thought he had to vote for Barack Obama or else he'd be violating his oath. You remember that? Yeah. 
Yeah. It's like, that's how people fucking, are real dumb. That's how dumb these people are. Now, for a pal, I'll, I'll ask Alan, uh, it, it, for a palate cleanser before we get into the judiciary stuff uh, that we have uh, for the show. Um, I haven't reviewed this video yet, but I saw it pop up. It's coming from Twitchy, and it's a black woman's impression of white people disagreeing with reparations is so bad it's almost funny. Is that something? Does that sound interesting at all? That does sound great. A little, a little comedic uh, cha- change of scene, and then we'll jump into. Uh, let me see if I can get it here. Oh shit! They try to hide it behind the paywall. Those dicks. But let me. Uh... Ooh. Oh, it's okay. I'll find it. I'll find it. I will find it. Um. Don't worry, I'll find it. Um, no, so that's the other thing is uh, this is oh, but well, yeah, and we got to talk about um, we got to get into the uh, other shit too. We got to talk about Super Tuesday because that's coming up. Good, which is going to be finally fucking awesome. Um, well, at least I, I think, I think it'll be awesome. I forgot that this was behind the damn paywall. And so I'm like racing to try to Ooh. click on the link because how dare they? It's a tweet too. Um, one thing I hate about media, especially like conservative media is I think I, I'm going to bitch about this a little bit. It's like the long story short here is twitchy. They're perfectly fine magazine, whatever. The problem is though, is like they scour the internet for things. And that's totally fine. That's totally acceptable. As is their way. Yeah. But like I'm scrolling down and it's a tweet. It's like their big share here is someone's tweet. But mm-hmm. it's they try to hide it behind a paywall. Like they want me to pay for VIP something to view someone else's tweet. That seems fucked up. Uh, sounds dumb. I wouldn't do that. Oh, well. Well, I can't get to it, and I'm not going to fight it too hard while I'm on the show. So screw them. I'll see if I can Fine. if I can get a hold of if I can get a hold of the original video. I'll post it up on our Discord. God damn it! But we still have to talk about we do the judiciary. So yeah, it's funny because we heard about white white um, rural rage. And, you know, according to them, they were supposedly they're the group that's the most against press freedom and freedom of speech, which I find interesting because Elon Musk is getting absolutely attacked from every angle he can, uh, specifically just because he allows freedom of speech on Twitter. Because Mm -hmm. he wasn't getting attacked before, but he is now. And so freedom of speech is not an ideal held up by the left. But supposedly, you know, it's, but they accuse, um, they, they accuse right, the right wing apparently of being anti-free speech. They also say that they're anti-press, which, uh, anti-press freedom, which I find fascinating given these two stories. Let's start with Catherine Herridge. So Catherine Herridge, for those of you who don't know, writes for CBS news or used to, she just got fired. Um, last week, she was fired from her position at CBS News, and in an unprecedented move, CBS said, you can't take your laptop or any of your notes, uh, which is very uncommon because usually journalists are the people who curate their own sources. And so a lot of people noted this move by CBS as 
in a, a roundabout way for CBS to be able to disclose who Catherine Herridge's sources were. And Catherine Herridge regularly reports on government corruption by the Democrats. Things like the different payments that are being received by the Biden family. A lot of stuff involving the uh, Biden laptop, uh, the Hunter Biden laptop. She reported a lot on the January 6th prisoners and how they were being treated. She also reports on a lot of other corruption involving the left, the Democrats, and the media. People were consistently surprised that she was able to maintain her job at CBS. But at the same time, she was so good at her job, number one, and it would like she was in a position where CBS firing her would have been looked at exactly as it's being looked at now, purely partisan and a method, uh, a method for CBS to basically get rid of someone that they find incredibly inconvenient to the narrative. But the Democrats are in a very desperate position, and we'll get into why in a second or in a little bit. But Catherine Herridge obviously fired from CBS. They want to take all of her information to force her to give up her sources on who's telling her all of these things. Uh, so maybe those people could end up suicided by two shots in the back of the head in a park in D.C. Who knows? But she was also facing um, she was uh, facing a court date. So she went into court this uh, a few days ago and has been held in contempt of court by a judge, and she's being held in contempt for not giving up her source, which typically judges don't ask a journalist to give up their source because it's a violation of the First Amendment and press freedom. But this judge is now fining her $800 a day and threatening her with jail if she doesn't tell the judge who her source is. And usually this would result in all of the press organizations and journalists screaming to high heaven and saying that this is absolutely a violation of the First Amendment and press freedom. This is insane. And the judge would back off. But so far, I'm not seeing anybody really crying about it because Catherine Herridge is one of the bad ones. She doesn't she doesn't stick with the leftist narrative. So the judge in this case, his name is Judge Chris Cooper. He was appointed by Barack Obama. He also happens to be married to Eric Holder, Barack Obama's attorney general, he, she, he's, uh, he, sorry, he is married to Eric Holder's chief of staff. It's also notable that their wedding was presided over by the current attorney general under Joe Biden, Merrick Garland. And the mm. case that Herridge okay. is being held in contempt over is a lawsuit by Dr. Yanping Chang who is suing the U.S. government for violations of the Privacy Act because Catherine Herridge in 2017 reported that Chen was running a technology school in Virginia, which was under investigation by the FBI for ties to the Chinese government. Oh, wow. So. How about that? The the Chinese government? The Chinese government. Sorry, I also saw a comment where... Uh, <laughs> um, sorry, Colleen's making fun of me because I said if I could find uh, that video that was behind the paywall, that I'll put it behind our paywall by putting it on our Discord. <laughs> so it's true. But I'll probably also Fantastic. share it on Twitter so you guys could get it for free. Um, anyway, so... Catherine Herridge is, for, for some reason, a judge is demanding, which any judge knows that this is a very crazy demand to make. 
to to demand that a a uh, to demand that a journalist give up who their source was, who their confidential source was in something. And and understand this is a lawsuit that this doctor is putting against the United States government for violation of the Privacy Act. Oh. So this doctor's upset because there was there was an investigation by the mm-hmm. FBI into her institute for having ties to the Chinese government, which was, by the way, a very big thing during the this is during the Trump administration. And I don't know if you all remember when a bunch of these different organizations were shut down because they were found to be linked to the Chinese government. The Chinese government oh. was stealing intellectual property. It was stealing intellectual property. It was um, uh, gathering intelligence on uh, U.S. military members. It was gathering intelligence on U.S. military operations, critical infrastructure. And it should also be noted, remember, like not that long ago, there were even a couple of uh, members in the U.S. Navy um, that were found to be sources for the Chinese government that were giving away secrets, uh, naval secrets. And they were arrested. So, well, I'm sure I'm sure that was just racism on the part of the. And and it's it's fascinating, given the fact that, you know, there's a lot of questions about whether or not Joe Biden's directly owned by the Chinese government because of all the money uh, that groups affiliated with the Chinese government like CEFC have given his family to the tune of like a mm-hmm. billion dollars. Yeah. So it's interesting that a very Democrat connected judge, you know, wife was the attorney general, uh, was Obama, uh, Obama's attorney general's uh, chief of staff married by the current attorney general. So this guy obviously sits in politically connected circles with Democrats, very powerful Democrats is suddenly uh, going after and trying to jail a journalist who is really inconvenient um, for revealing a story. Uh, about an investigation into something that might be tied to the Chinese government who might be giving money to Joe Biden. So definitely, definitely a very awkward situation. And also somebody trying to jail a journalist, which I was told is what makes people like Vladimir Putin an evil dictator. Well, you know, he's just so evil. Really is the, the thing. He just he's evil and he's dictatory, <laughs> and nobody awful. likes that. It also should be noted that the same judge, Judge Cooper, has convicted over sixty participants in the January sixth um, protest. So is he mm-hmm. fascinating? So obvious. It's obvious to me that people, very powerful people on the left, want to find out who told Catherine Herridge about this Chinese Institute that was linked to the Chinese government because they want to take care of this source. She got fired from CBS and now she's being threatened with jail time for not giving up her source. Sounds pretty coordinated to me. Seems like a lot of uh, very powerful Democrats really want to know who the hell she was talking to. But that's not the only thing that happened. The FBI this week also arrested Steve Baker who's a reporter for The Blaze, which is the um, the news network owned by Glenn Beck, the conservative radio host. So Steve Baker was at 
at the uh, Capitol during January 6th. He was reporting. He's obviously shown a lot of the stuff that he was reporting. But most recently, he's been calling out the lies of the government because he happens to have video footage because he was there. And so he's been able to point out where the government is lying about the events of January 6th and regularly has. Well, he, years later, (laughs) has now come up on charges and was asked to voluntarily surrender, which he did. He went to the FBI field office to voluntarily surrender, and they chose to frog march him in handcuffs anyway. But not only did they frog march him in handcuffs to the car to take him in for processing, when he showed up to uh, see the judge for his sentencing, they had him in leg and arm shackles. Because little old Steve Baker, the voluntary, you know, the guy who voluntarily showed up with his attorney, communicated the entire time, showed absolutely no effort to evade uh, law enforcement, needs to be chained down because, I don't know, I guess he's such a risk. Oh, and by the way, he was facing four nonviolent misdemeanor charges. Well, he sounds like absolutely public enemy number one. But it makes sense because he's being fa- he's facing Judge Emmett Sullivan, who was a- appointed by Bill Clinton. And you might recognize the name Emmett Sullivan because he's the same judge that even after Merrick Garland at the DOJ decided to drop charges against General Michael Flynn, Emmett Sullivan decided, I don't care that the DOJ isn't going to pursue charges. I, a judge, am going to become a jury and indicting authority myself, and I'm going to try to pursue a case against Michael Flynn myself anyway. And that ended up obviously getting completely thrown out because that's insane. Right. So, that's the current weaponization of the judiciary. That's just in the last few days. Obviously, it's happening all the time everywhere. But this is why the infiltration of the left is something that we need to pay close attention to. Because these judges are now just, they're, they're doing whatever they want. This, this is one of the ways that the left is going to try and um, push its power. And part of that is because that power is waning. I, If I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, it has been six months since Joe Biden has been ahead of Donald Trump in any poll. I mean, I would, I've been, I was, I think most people were shocked that he got the most votes of presidential history ever. Right. And the enthusiasm for Biden, I felt never really reflected the number of votes he supposedly got. Right. Well, yeah, there's certainly that. And, you know, I I wonder if that's part of the whole fear. Obviously, I know that they're slightly afraid of like they're afraid of losing. Of course, they're afraid of Mm -hmm. Trump being able to get a second term um, because, well, just the thought of Trump terrifies them. But at the same time, you know, I feel like Trump's going to be pretty bitter about the last election. And if he's able to get into office, I, I don't think it's crazy to assume that he wouldn't want to take a look 
And so here's a question: What might he find? How much of what? How much of what we see the Democrats doing today, with mm-hmm. say the border, with arresting journalists, with doing all these things? How much of it do you think is reflective of? Or here's a scenario: Do you think they're doing these things, knowing that Trump is probably going to win the election, and in setting the country up, setting themselves up to most be able to frustrate? and stall Donald Trump basically draining the swamp and taking the just revenge on them. Like this book, White Male, you know, White Rural Rage, setting up all these narratives essentially to prevent Trump and his supporters from taking back control of the country. Um, like yes and no. I, I, think, okay. I think that all of this is part of an effort. I think that this is a last ditch panic move because they Mm. can't it's it's not about disrupting trump when elected it's we can't he can't be he cannot be elected he cannot be elected sure like the left cannot let donald trump be elected president of the united states and some of that, mm-hmm. and it, it could be for obviously a lot of different reasons, of course. But one of those reasons are if Trump wins and Biden does awful, no one's going to believe that the 2020 election was real. It would, comp- I, I, yeah, it, it, it would. Comp- now, one of the things, mm-hmm. think about how much the left relies on the this cultured idea that there was no fraud and anyone who said there was fraud is a crazy conspiracy theorist. Just like that clip where we showed the guy talking about white rural rage. They don't believe the election was real. It's all crazy conspiracies. They say that because there is very legitimate concerns about the election integrity of 2020. Mm -hmm. And they need to deflect people away from that because it completely destroys the legitimacy of Biden and the Democrats. Right. Well, and on top of that, um, the right wing is getting better at fighting back. It's it's one of the mm-hmm. it's one of the weird things that I've noticed is if there's if there's something that really pisses off some of the shit never Trump Republicans, it seems like they're actually legitimately bothered when people on the right fight for themselves. I don't know what it is, but the mm-hmm. the only thing that I can really find out is that the the true conservatives, you know, TM, um on the right seem to be the most bothered when Americans start standing up for themselves. It's very strange. And I think that the, I think that the Democrats have the exact same reaction is like the Democrats can't fight the right as well anymore. The establishment can't fight the, this group of Americans that exists now that are willing to stand up and call bullshit on things. And and by the way, it's, it's Mm -hmm. a two way street. Like there, there are people in the stab on the establishment right that are just as bothered by this, because like look look at all the the um, the attempts at the um, current thingisms. There was not vast support for Ukraine. There's not vast right. support for another forever war with Israel. Like people aren't supporting the stuff that the Uniparty wants them to support. And that mm-hmm. is a threat, and it's being seen as a threat from all of Washington, D.C., not just the left. 
but primarily the left because they're the ones that get to dictate the narrative. The people on the right in the uniparty are just the cucks that get to sit in the chair and watch. Ew. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> I did. But um, at the same time, uh, we have Super Tuesday coming up, which we're getting a lot of really interesting numbers coming back from these primaries. From the primaries, from the polls that are happening, from the exit polling that is happening, it is absolutely fascinating. First of all, by the way, Donald Trump in the South Carolina primary did exceedingly well with the younger voters. 17 to 25 did extremely well with younger voters. In fact, the only demographic that Nikki Haley even did moderately good with were old people, 65 and older. But on top of that, Michigan was fascinating. Donald Trump got more votes than Joe Biden. Now, obviously, it's primaries, right? So it was a Democrat primary and it was a Republican primary. But Michigan's supposed to be a blue state. Michigan went for uh, went went for Joe Biden. And I always thought it was real weird that my county where I grew up went blue because that's never happened. Now, Michigan's been a blue state before, of course. Michigan went for Barack Obama. They voted for, you know, Democrat governors. But I'm very, not used to seeing my county go blue. And then for one reason or another in 2020, it did. And I was like, that seems weird. But regardless of that, Donald Trump got more votes than Joe Biden Mm -hmm. overall. More Republicans voted in the primary than Democrats. Maybe, maybe, I mean, it's a primary, right? And it's a primary for an incumbent. So I guess that that's understandable, but it still says something. Sure. And the same compare the the other thing that happened, which I thought was fascinating, is Joe Biden lost Dearborn to nobody. <laughs> In the Michigan primary, you're allowed to vote uncommitted. And so uh so people can vote, you know, uncommitted. And in Dearborn specifically, Joe Biden lost the city to uncommitted. So he literally lost to nobody. That's extremely embarrassing. So it looks like, um, yeah, Donald Trump got 700, 758,892 votes. Okay. In the Michigan primary. Joe Biden got 623,415 votes. Uncommitted hmm. got 101,436 votes or 13.2% of the vote went to literally nobody and actually gained two delegates. There are two delegates in Michigan in the, in the Democrat party. There are two delegates who are uncommitted. Wow. Now, well, you do have to wonder this is this is why I said it. I think I think that there is this someone in the Democrat Party has to be looking at the way things are going with Biden, with the country, et cetera, and recognizing that their grasp on political that at least Donald Trump has a serious chance. 
someone has to be recognizing that possibility. And when they do, I can see that they would be very getting very paranoid and weird. Like I think you, the reason why you have things like white, right, white rural rage being promoted is the idea that we need to divide, make sure the country is as divided as possible because that's the only way we can essentially get people to not vote for Trump. I think in the run up to the election, the race and the race issue in America is going to be amped up considerably because I think Democrats are going to look at that and go, the only way we can stop a bunch of our people of color voting base from either not voting for Trump, not voting at all, or even worse, voting Trump, is if we highlight concerns of racism to an insane degree. If we if we paint the country as it's white people versus BIPOCs in this horrible race war, that's the only way we can make our voting base stay loyal. Because I, they, they have to do two things. You mm -hmm. not only have to get your people to the polls, you also have to prevent them from voting for the other guy. Like it's it's a it's two-way street. So you need to not only make it so that they don't vote for Trump. You also have to get them energized enough to actually vote. And that's going to be a big problem for them. And I think the way that they're going to fall back on, because the one tactic they constantly use is essentially fear of is racial animosity. I think you're only going to see that increase as their paranoia starts getting the better of them. As they actually, as they absolutely recognize that they might lose the election and that their own voting base is probably going to betray them. It's like the Muslims in Dearborn. They look at Biden and go, that guy's a puppet of Israel. Is Donald Trump any better? Is, any, is he less associated with Israel? I think you probably, I mean, he probably supports Israel just as much as Biden does. But I think the perception of the people in Dearborn is such that they don't want Biden. And maybe they don't want Trump, but at the same time, are they going to vote for Biden? Are they going to get enough votes to counter Trump winning the, the, the city, winning the state? I think there has to be Democrat Democrat strategists that are now very, very concerned about these things. And I don't know what they're going to do as the situation progresses. Well, it's just it's insane to me because um, like one, one thing that's absolutely like notable here is that um, Joe Biden lost 13 percent of the vote. In Michigan to uncommitted 13% of voters showed up in the primary to vote against Joe Biden. Nuts. Like Democrat, it's a Democrat primary. They're, they're not voting against, yeah. you know, Donald Trump 13%. That that's not a, that's, that's not a minimal percentage of voters. Like it, it, it's a incumbent president. So you don't even have to really go, you know what I mean? He's the incumbent when everyone already knows he's yeah. running. It doesn't fucking matter. Right. So he's an incumbent president and 13% of people over a hundred thousand people went to the polls and said, please God, not him. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. That's shocking. It's, it's bananas. Like it's, yeah. it's so, ugh, I don't know. So anyway, about that, since Super Tuesday is happening, we're getting in the last 10 minutes of the program here. 
So far, Donald Trump has 244 delegates. The 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 Republican Party needs to uh, requires 1,215 delegates to win the nomination. So that is that is how somebody wins the nomination. Now, sure. some of the delegates are you know already given out to those who have dropped. Nikki Haley has 24 delegates. Donald Trump has 244 and Super Tuesday is coming up. Let me double check because I didn't actually get this math. Um, How many GOP delegates uh, are awarded on Super Tuesday? See if that's actually a thing. Because I could have done the math, but uh, let's see. But I didn't. Yeah. (laughs) 854 (laughs) delegates. So. Yeah, that basically almost seals it us. So 854, you know, would would put him pretty basically like 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 I've said before, Super Tuesday, you're going to know who the nominee is. It's basically impossible once Super Tuesday is over for anybody to ha- there's not going to be an upset. It's insane that Nikki Haley didn't drop out after she lost her own state in South Carolina, which is it's insane. Like her own state so Nikki Haley was the governor of South crazy. Carolina, and she only got 39% of the vote. Donald Trump got 59.8. Wow. Yeah. Nikki Haley got 299,000 votes to Donald Trump, who got 452,496. That's a, it's not a very good showing. I think that Nikki Haley's entire purpose is thinking that Donald Trump is going to get uh, indicted. And uh, I, I think I think I think that the Democrats are going to try and put Donald Trump in jail. They want him in prison before the election. So then they can say that he can't be the president of the United States. He can't even be voted for because he is going to be um, because he's in prison. Yeah. And wow. so, and so I, I, I think that that's their plan. And Nikki Haley is hoping that there's going to be some sort of, um, weakness in the GOP. That's going to be like, well, yeah, we can't really run Trump because he's in jail and it's just going to be, it'd be a whole court battle. So we have to, we have to pick somebody else and she's going to show up and go, I'm the only person still in the race, and by the bylaws, you have to pick me. Well, and I could see Democrats putting a lot of effort behind Nikki Haley. Oh, they have. They would so much rather mm-hmm. face off against Haley in the president. They might see that as their Hail Mary play. It's like the only way we can possibly win, or at least get someone in office that isn't going to take revenge on us, is if Nikki Haley wins it. Right. But I, I, I think that that's her strategy. Her strategy is that Donald Trump gets, that's been the thing, that's been my my theory this whole time is the reason why I've never liked any of the primary challengers is because the idea that they're cheering on Donald Trump going, like they're cheering on the Democrats winning. Donald Trump going to jail is the Democrats winning. We all know that yeah. this is a political prosecution. So anytime I see any Republican try to pretend like they're being rational and reasonable where they're like, Donald Trump just has too many legal problems and it's just such a distraction. It's like the it's the the Democrats are the ones doing that. Yeah. 
Like that's the fault of the evil Democrats doing evil shit. And they're like, oh, but let's just let the Democrats win this one so I don't have to talk about it at work. That's true. That that is something to always be careful of is do people actually are the people that don't like Trump do they actually have a good point or are they simply going, I just hate that liberals make me feel bad about Trump and I want someone else so I don't have to be inconvenienced? Yeah, no, it has to be that because otherwise it's like everybody knows that this is politically motivated. And and if not, you're yeah. you're too retarded to be allowed to talk or vote. Mm-hmm. Because holy crap, like. Otherwise, your opinion has to be, well, the Democrats wouldn't just go after people unless they actually did something wrong. They would never they would never use the judiciary as a weapon. That's ridiculous. Yeah, just just to remind you, it's very silly. Yeah, just to remind you, people referred to Ron DeSantis as death Santis tried to claim that he was literally murdering people and are also trying to claim that he's engaging in human trafficking by sending migrants to other states from Florida. So uh, maybe maybe calm down with this idea that the Democrats would never weaponize the the judiciary against such a good guy like DeSantis. It would never happen. You're an idiot and you deserve to get completely owned. By the Democrats, yeah. if you're that stupid. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I think that anyone, anyone with a brain looks at the situation and goes, I would rather Trump be in charge of the country as we face the very serious problems that we're going to start facing very soon. And I would rather Trump be in charge than someone that actively talks about how much they want to destroy my history and culture. Well, and that's what's amazing is Trump's like, even surging with minorities. It is. Yeah, this is a terrifying prospect for Democrats. They are losing across the board. Donald Trump has now gained back what he lost with suburban uh, suburban college educated women and women in general. And he is now surging like I think something like over 500 percent gain in uh, Mm -hmm. minority support. The Democrats are losing all. All of their. their little special cases, all of those like little areas that they, that they make their gains in, they're losing all of it. And the, the, the weirdest part about it is it's simply because Trump's not pandering. Like it's hilarious. Yeah. It's hilarious because like when you look at the whole Dearborn thing, Donald Trump's not like pro Gaza as far as I know, but Trump at the same time, isn't going to sit there and like be a complete jackass about it. He's not going to be a pandering like idiot about it either. I, I think the example I gave yeah. is his response. If the whole October 7th thing were to occur while he was president would basically be like, Oh yeah, no, that's terrible. Israel should go kill everybody that's in Hamas. Hamas is awful. They're terrible. And then somebody goes, what about yeah. Palestine? And he goes, oh, Palestinians, Palestinians love me. They think I'm the greatest president that's ever lived. And then the media would sit there and have to try to convince everybody that Palestinians hate Donald Trump and that he's evil, but nobody would be talking about Israel and Palestine. Yeah. I mean, I have every reason to believe Trump would would quote, support Israel, say, if he was yeah. president. Yeah. I think the extremity of U.S. support would probably be a lot more mitigated. Like there wouldn't be three aircraft carriers sitting around Israel, essentially bullying 
any Arab nation into like, hey, don't you come and try and save these Palestinians from this retribution. I think that the honestly and as crazy as this kind of sounds is Donald Trump would be much more diplomatic about how he handles all of these crises. It's like Ukraine. If, if Donald Trump was president, first off, I don't think Russia would have invaded because I think Trump would have made an agreement with Putin rather than violating the Minsk agreements. I think that, but if let's say he's elected, I think he would probably be like, well, like there's only one, the only way this war ends is to come to an agreement on this. And probably he, his a focus seemingly would be based on his record as president would be, how can we find an agreement to reduce this conflict? Because that is what Trump did as president around the world. You had the Abraham Accords that he sponsored between Israel and the Gulf states. You had the reconciliation between North and South Korea. It seemed like Trump's foreign policy focus was how can we make agreements that reduce conflict rather than Joe Biden and the Democrats approach, which is how can we force compliance um, with people who disagree with us? Well, and how do we how how can the reason why Biden can't have a coherent foreign policy is because he's too busy trying to please every little minority group. He can't take a yeah. he can't take a stance. He can't take a reasonable or rational rational stance whatsoever on the conflict between Israel and Gaza because he doesn't want to piss the Jews off and he doesn't want to piss yeah. all the he doesn't want to piss the poor brown people off. Yeah. So he's in a shit position. He literally cannot take a position because he's weak and pandering and the left is the left is nothing more than a grievance cult. And they can't yeah. solve any problems. Right. And that's, and then you have the issue on the southern border. It's like, why can't... You would think, if I was Biden and I was smart, I'd be like, listen, this is big and embarrassing. Let's just quietly... We'll tell all the media to not report on it, and we'll just quietly stop all the invasion across the southern border. But they couldn't even do that for politics. No. It's like, who who is, who is going to vote? Because, like... This is something that's always been strained to me is you think that there would be enough pressure of, hey, there, this looks really bad. Let's tr make it so that this situation goes away before the election so that our enemies can't capitalize on it. And they can't seem to do that. It's almost like they want people to be upset at them. It's really weird. Yeah, well, and it's unsurprising, but I, th I think that the left is in a panic. And so I think it's going to continue most likely. And this is going to have to be the last point of the show here. Most likely, I bet, I bet dollars to donuts that we're going to have to, there's going to be a white cop that's going to have to shoot a black kid or something because they're going to need BLM to come back out. And it wouldn't surprise me if, if I see any type of violence that can even be moderately attributed to the right wing, I'm going to assume it's a false flag because this is the kind of shit that the left is going to have to engage in. But that's going to have to be it for our program. Be sure to go over to subscribestar.com forward slash wrong think radio. It's $2.99 a month to help support the program, help us pay the bills. And it would be super awesome of you. And we'd love you forever for it anyway. Other than that, I'm Aaron from the East Coast. I'm Alan from the West Coast. This is Wrong Think Radio. See you all next week.